0: Twenty one CL radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life Podcast with host Andy Vasic. Hi, everybody. I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you all for tuning in to my Run Your Life podcast. It brings me great delight, really, to introduce my guest today, Margaret Heffernan. Uh, Margaret has inspired me for quite some time. I have followed her work for years. Uh, I've been inspired and motivated by all of her TED Talks and the books that she's written. She's made a difference in the world of business and has really educated thousands and thousands of people worldwide about the need for change and the success criteria related to making sustainable change possible. William Lewis, Chief Executive Officer from the Dow Jones and publisher of the Wall Street Journal, describes Margaret as a remarkable thinker and author whose insights into human behavior are shaping the corporate world for the better. He goes on to say that her work has educated and motivated leadership of thousands of businesses to increasingly empower their entire organizations to see through the fog and create the changes required to make sustainable growth. Margaret Heffernan wrote for the BBC for 13 years and directed and commissioned dozens of documentaries. She's written uh, five books, with one of them being named the top ten books of the decade by a well-known newspaper. And Margaret's TED Talks have been seen by over five million people. Um, I invited Margaret to be on the podcast uh, several months ago, and she's in high demand. She travels the world constantly. And I'm eternally grateful for Margaret accepting my invitation to speak on the podcast today. And in this episode, we dive into her work, we dive into her philosophy and vision, and really her hope for the future. Um, she's, as I said, very inspirational, and I'm, I'm sure you will find value in this episode and uh, kind of glean some insight that you can apply to your own life. Uh, I've included in the show notes all of Margaret's TED Talk links, as well as links to her books. So without further ado, my episode with the amazing Margaret Heffernan. Hello, everybody. Welcome to my Run Your Life podcast series. Uh, It really brings me great joy, and it's such an honor to have uh, my guest, uh, Margaret Heffernan, on my show. Um, And Margaret, just before we begin, I I truly want to let you know that even though we've never met in person, I, I really consider you, you a mentor who has really, sh- who has really shaped my own learning related to growth, learning and development. In particular, it's application and education. And although a lot of the, the work you do focuses on the corporate world and the business world, I feel as though there's very strong application and value in the world of education and the work that teachers do day in and day out to bring, bring out the best in themselves and their students. So, I really want to thank you for taking the time to be on the show today, Margaret.
1: Oh, that's it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.
0: So, I guess we can start right away. Can you just give my audience just a snapshot into the work you do and the vision that you have?
1: Yeah. Um, so, I write. I write books about, I guess, loosely speaking, where we as individuals and um, as organizations. If you like, 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 let, letter. What are the some of the behaviours and beliefs that impede us doing what we know we want to do and what we know we actually have the capacity to do, but which we somehow sometimes fail to do? Um, so I'm very focused on kind of beliefs and behaviours in cultures within organisations. Um, and although many of my books are used uh, in a business context. I kind of like to think I've actually never written a traditional business book because I think all organizations are full of people. And unless we think of people as whole people, you know, with private lives and families and so on, um, then we'll always miss something important. So I'm always trying to work the integration between individuals and collectives that they move into, whether they're schools or companies or governments or whatever.
0: Yeah, and I think it's that idea of both personal and professional development. And to me, the, the two are so closely intertwined in the work that we do um, that it's very hard to separate who we are as a person from who we are as a professional. And can you give us a peek into the five books you've written and kind of the main objective of each one?
1: Sure. Um, the first book I wrote was a book called The Naked Truth. And, um, it was really looking at, um, women in corporations, I guess, uh, but looking at them not just as workers, but as people and why so many women often feel that organizations don't fit them and how they might find better ways to orient themselves or orient their organizations to themselves. Um. In the course of writing that book, I discovered that actually in the United States there was this explosion of um, entrepreneurship among women that nobody was writing about. Women were starting businesses uh, at a faster rate than men, and they were more likely to succeed. So I wrote a book about that, looking at what is it women are doing that are making their businesses so successful, and could anybody learn from that? And then my third book, which is probably the book for which I'm best known, is a book called Willful Blindness, Why We Ignore the Obvious at Our Peril. And it looks at the human tendency to ignore, marginalize, trivialize some of the things which we most need to pay attention to. And it really derives from an observation that every time there is some kind of personal or institutional failure it's not because uh, we didn't know. It's because we sort of chose to look away from what we knew was difficult. And, um, and that was followed by, I think, a che- more cheerful book
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> called A Bigger Prize, which looked at um, how competition works on people and organizations and society, uh, which turns out to be not quite the way. Um, that classic economists, or indeed Darwinians, like to tell us it works. And it looked also at the human capacity for collaboration and its ability to, I think, deliver more for individuals and for the world um, than doubling down on our competitive instincts. And then the last book was a very tiny little book that um, I was asked to write by Ted Uh, I've given a number of TED Talks, and they asked me to kind of bring together some of the learning, actually, from all of those books, in terms of how we can make changes, um, really mostly, I would say, in organizations, uh, where change often feels so huge as to be daunting. So what are some of the small things that anybody could do which will have an impact on the places where they live and where they work?
0: And one of the things that I absolutely love about your work in particular, uh, your TED Talks and, and that, that driving, the driving themes that keep reappearing in your TED Talks to reinforce the, the big idea of the ordinary hero. And you are really a spokes, <clears throat> spokesperson for the ordinary heroes. And I think of, you know, Alice Stewart, some George Neal, uh, Cynthia Thomas, some of these amazing people. Um, who did amazing things, but really reinforcing that message that we're all, uh, capable of creating change and Gloria Benefield, you know, in particular, and the change that she, uh, created. But th- that idea that willful blindness is about, you know, that idea that we oftentimes choose to look away, like you said. And I think, in education, it's so prevalent. Um, we know so much about what uh, impacts students and that idea that we know the science and research behind movement, the importance of movement and, and testing in particular and, and the negative implications of testing. But there's a lot of willful blindness happening in education. Yeah. So, can you speak more about the success criteria needed to overcome willful blindness in organizations?
1: Well, I think um, I mean those sort of key. There are many aspects to to willful blindness. Some of them are very um, simple. So, when we are are very very busy and multitasking, we'll absolutely be blind to things. The same is true when we're very tired and don't get enough sleep. Physically, your brain can't absorb everything and it pretty much edits the way it wants to, not necessarily the way you want to. So there's a kind of physical component, which is many of the ways that we work make it very likely that we will miss the things we most need to pay attention to. Um, it's also the case, I think, that uh, most organizations suffer from a phenomenon which I guess you would call um, organizational silence, which is that lots of people have ideas and concerns and issues which they don't voice. And they primarily don't voice them because they're afraid that if they do, they'll be punished by uh, supervisors or co-workers if they say something unpopular or controversial or difficult um, most people are conflict averse so they'll just, they'd rather pretend the problem or the idea didn't exist than have to encounter the conflict that it might provoke and it's also the case that as human beings we are pretty obedient, we all think we're not but actually we are Uh, We're pretty conformist. We take our cues from the people around us. And we know instinctively, if not consciously, that we need to be part of the pack because we can get more done together than apart. So we're very, very um, reluctant to do or say anything that might separate us from the group. And what all of those different forces do is combine to suppress, marginalize, trivialize, Um, many of the observations and thoughts we have um, because we just fear they'll provoke too much conflict. And so a lot of my work looks at how do we reduce that fear in our organizations and in ourselves? How do we reduce the bad living and working habits that make it impossible for us to do what we most need to do? And how do we build the social support structures that we need so that if we do wish to raise an issue, if we do need to have a debate, we can do so within um, a a society or within a culture of psychological safety.
0: Yeah, and I I think... What you're saying too, cause you, you, you alluded to it before that individually on an individual level and an organizational level, there's willful blindness. And when I, when I think, I just want to share something personal with you. And when I look at my own life and, and kind of the, the willful blindness that existed in my own life. So I, uh-huh. I came from a, a very dysfunctional family. There was a lot of mental illness and addiction and depression in my family. And it took me many years to, um, to understand the importance of of understanding why that was happening in my family, and to make sense of of why it was happening, and I lost two brothers, one one to addiction, and uh, one to suicide, and and kind of your work, willful blindness, and really being aware of the things with within us that cause our own willful blindness, gave me kind of the courage to speak up on the TED stage myself. So I shared my My story and I thought that sharing my story and how I overcame, um, a predisposition to mental illness and depression through physical activity and sport was a way of honoring my brother's lives and bringing more recognition, bringing more recognition to the importance of mental health. So I think on an individual level, willful blindness is, is very important. So what do you have to say to people on an individual level about willful blindness?
1: It's tricky. I mean, I I can understand to some degree where you come from. And I would say that, you know, in my own family, I've had similar experiences. I think the really crucial thing is that as painful as it can be to look at some of these truths, the, the fact is, if you can raise them in a reasonably um, careful productive way it creates infinitely more possibilities and i think one of the things i discovered in all the research i did around willful blindness is that people feel instinctively or even unconsciously that by ignoring things it makes them kind of feel better and the reality is that it creates more risk and more uh discomfort for them and the only way out of that is really to raise the topic and deal with it. Now, one of the things that I've learned from talking to so many people in situations like this is that they often feel that they have only two choices. They either keep their mouths shut and their eyes shut, or they kind of stand on the tabletop and scream about what they see. And I think the the difficult, subtle lesson is... That there are almost always more options than that. That you can approach these problems more delicately and carefully than that. It often helps to have other people, allies, supporters, um, friends to help you. I think it's very hard to do it entirely by yourself. And... As difficult as this is, and I really don't underestimate how hard and painful it can be, what it will do is leave people feeling freer than they were before, less trapped, less isolated, and where it can often feel um, like an attack, I think the reality is that It's actually an act of love, that if you really love someone in your family, in your community, actually being honest about where you are and what's happening is a gift.
0: Yeah. And And
1: it doesn't mean that by drawing attention to it in a single bound, you're free. But it means once, at least once it's on the table, everybody can address it and think about it collectively and, and in each other's interest and actually that may even be a process of years but until it can be addressed it will not be fixed
0: yeah and i think you 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 said in in a recent uh, ted talk that silence guarantees no change and that's exactly what you're saying and that You know, to emphasize what you say about candor being safe and, you know, how critical candor is within our teams and within our families and and everything. And when I think of silence, I think of some research that I read on that idea that when we suppress things and we keep things inside, there is actually an inflammation of our nervous system. So we're always on guard and we're always yeah. protecting ourselves, which leads to, you know, uh, our immunization or our immune systems really being attacked. Um, so there's a lot of things going on here under the surface as well with what you're saying.
1: of it. I think that's the difficulty is that. You may feel that in ignoring something, you're kind of getting rid of it, but you in fact never get rid of it unless or until you're prepared to deal with it.
0: Yeah. Um, can I ask you? I'm going to throw throw a fun question out here to you, okay? But if, okay. if I was to if I was beside you right now, where you're in the UK, right? Yeah. Okay. So if I was beside you right now. And I took you by the hand and I brought you into a time machine and I could catapult you. (laughs) If I could catapult you back in time to your 22 year old self and you Uh could you could step out of the time machine and you had only one minute with yourself to just (laughs) offer advice based on what you've learned in your own life and how you continue to learn. What advice would you offer your 22 year old self?
1: oh wow that's quite a tricky uh thought exercise isn't it Mm -hmm. 22 years old so when i was 22 i had just graduated from university um what would i say to myself Uh, i would say maybe two things one is don't worry too much about what other people think they mostly think about themselves and the other thing i would say is um When people are angry with you or don't like what you've done, don't take it personally. Don't think it's an attack on you. Learn from their response. Think about what is it they're saying to you that you can use. You're never going to please everybody all the time. So do what you want to do. Take the feedback as something useful and recognize that if you're doing really good work that's meaningful to people, some people definitely won't like it.
0: And, and what is your biggest hope? If you were to, to look into the future, what is the biggest hope that you have in regards to the work that you do ultimately?
1: Well, that's a really great question because I was thinking about it this morning. I work on a leadership program in the U.K., and, uh, and we had a meeting yesterday to talk about how it's going. And I was thinking, actually, you know, it's gone very well. Everybody's learned a lot. They've grown a lot. I still think that we are, and I don't think this is just a UK problem, although the English think it is. Um, I still think that we are, we work so hard to be cordial, that we rarely say what we think and this leaves us in what i think of as a mutually assured stalemate i don't tell you what i'm really thinking and you don't tell me what you're really thinking so we're endlessly second guessing each other and estimating and sometimes we get it almost right and sometimes we get it completely wrong but in our desire to be cordial we often miss the big differences between us, which could be really interesting. And I think we don't sufficiently appreciate that actually what is different between us has value. I would not ever wish to spend my life with somebody exactly like me. I can't imagine anything more boring. I'm interested in people who are not like me. And... Um, and I think we need to learn much better than we currently do how to manage and respect those differences between us.
0: Yeah, and I I, I go back to the Doctor Alice Stewart. What an amazing story and she she surrounded herself um by well, in particular George Neal, right? Her biggest yeah. critic. Um, And what you're saying is exactly that. You know, Alice Stewart would never have accomplished what she did or changed the world like she did had she not embraced a different perspective and George Neal's work, right? Yeah.
1: And I think it's, um, you know, it's this thing her daughter told me about Alice, which was it wasn't that she loved arguments, but she was prepared to have them and she became very good at them. And I think this is something we all need to pay attention to. You know, we've noticed how certainly in the U.S. and the U.K., people feel right now as if they can't even talk to the people that they disagree with. Well, we're never going to get anywhere if we stay there, right? We're just going to be in our opposite corners glaring at each other. And this capacity to have conversations with people don't agree with, the capacity to think, well, you know, I could be wrong. I could learn something by having this argument. I could at least understand other people better. I think this is absolutely essential. And I see most people just backing away from it.
0: Yeah, we're trying to create a culture in our school here where... Um, critical feedback, um, not just um, appreciative feedback, but honest, critical feedback and removing the emotion from that in order to grow and learn. We're really trying to create a culture of that and having uh, candid discussions with our colleagues in order to drive each other forward and to learn and grow. And yeah. we have a, a consultant that works with us from New Zealand and he brought this amazing uh, story uh, forward to us one day with the senior leadership team. That was all about 200% accountability and he used the example of a, a – it's a moving company in New York. I don't know if you've heard of this and I forget the name right now but it's a moving company in New York that all of the employees are ex-convicts uh, and um, drug, a- drug addicts and, and the – it's a nonprofit company that – is trying to inspire these people to find a life of purpose and hope, and to give them yeah. a chance. And they base themselves on the on the premise of two hundred percent accountability. So not only am I a hundred percent accountable for myself, but I'm also a hundred percent accountable for my colleagues' actions, and and ensuring that they they support each other and they call each other out when they kind of mess up. And the the moving company started off by being you know, not really known at all, but then it rose in, in, uh, popularity and customer rating reviews skyrocketed because they were so responsible and, and they had such a strong work ethic based on this 200% percent accountability, which transcends work and then begins to apply to their own lives. So it's, it's a really beautiful story of exactly what you're describing, you know, uh, feedback and, and critical, uh, feedback for growth.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's crucial and it's so interesting because in the meeting I had yesterday, we were reviewing this program I work on and, um, and one of my colleagues had a piece of feedback for me and getting it out of her was like pulling teeth, yeah. you know, and she felt that on one occasion I'd been rather heavy handed and, you know, and I'm pretty sure she's right and it's fine. You know, I I didn't kind of fall to pieces or storm off in a huff. I think that's really helpful feedback. It makes me think, again, differently about kind of what happened and what I need to do differently. And it's okay. You know, it's okay. I'm glad to know this. And what I think is extraordinary. Am I not kind of deliberately pulled it out of her? Um... I don't think it would ever have come up.
0: So, you—you. You, so I think yeah.
1: you know. I think this preparedness to say the hard stuff, to say it with goodwill, to say it, you know, calmly and you know, and professionally. I, I think this is absolutely essential, and I think it is astounding how much time and energy and credibility we sacrifice when we don't do it. And I say, I think, you know, I think the intent is always good. I don't want to upset people. Um, But how is anybody ever going to grow and develop if people don't provide honest feedback? And of course, you know, in organizations for years, we've had this thing of annual appraisals and all nonsense because nobody actually wants to come to grips with what really needs to be said. And then what happens is everybody just complains in hallways and private meetings. Um but that doesn't
0: fix anything. It feels like something may have been done. Right. Um I want I want to really go into your just to close off, you know, I respect your time and really appreciate it, but the last thing I really want to discuss with you is your last TED talk. I think uh the sound of things being said. I tweeted that out last night. Um and I, I listened to it a few times and and I think it's like you said, the, the big driving theme is the cost of silence is big and exactly what we've been talking about, futility and fear, um, but really about the small questions and the magic of small questions, you know? Okay. So can you just speak to that last that last talk and and the big idea about magic questions?
1: well i think you know and i said earlier i think people feel you know they can either be silent or they can scream and and i think often the the best way and to be fair the safest way to start a conversation which you feel needs to be had is to just start exploring so the question might be you know are we sure this Product or this plan is everything we hoped for. Um, if it was never got better than this, would we all feel it was good enough? Um, what have we missed? What did we start out hoping for that somewhere along the line dropped? Um, other questions like, we you know this our plan is based on these assumptions. <laughs> what if this assumption were wrong? How would we know? What if the decision were wrong? How would we know? So it seems like, you know, I think we put it on They have the spirit of exploration in them, which is just, you know, for our own collective benefit, let's just explore this a little bit further, which I think, you know, it's pretty hard to reject. And I think when you start learning to formulate sorts of questions, you learn quickly how to keep conversations open, how to get them to go a little bit further, a little bit deeper, um, and to create an environment where if people do have reservations or ideas that they just haven't you know, managed to get out or that nobody listened to, it gives another opportunity for people to uh, say what they think matters,
0: I really liked how you you also mentioned the idea that uh, good questioning and through questions we can uncover hidden potential and to me questions also uh, are all about arousing curiosity, which is really uh-huh. which is really an education, arousing curiosity and sparking curiosity is really at the heart of inquiry based teaching and learning. You know the yeah. p- the power of questioning. so i'm gonna I'm gonna share that uh, talk with uh, our staff here to really emphasize that importance of of um, ongoing questions to stimulate discussion. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah,
1: and I think it's also very helpful sometimes to you know put one'self in someone else's shoes and think, okay, so if I weren't a teacher, I were a student or if I weren't a student, I were a teacher, or if I were a teacher, I were a parent how would this feel? Would it make sense to me? What would be puzzling to me about it? Or what might make me feel uncomfortable about it? And just, you know, kind of do those thought exercises for yourself as a way of gaining some sense of the different perspectives and how they might respond to what you're presenting.
0: Right. Yeah, very, very valuable. So, Margaret, um, again, I, I appreciate your time. And, and uh, I think you can be, you, you're well, you're found on Twitter at your name, right? Margaret Heffernan. It's actually M underscore. Oh, M underscore. Okay. And I have
1: a website, which is just www.mheffernan.com.
0: Okay. Um, I'm going to share your books and all of your TED Talks in, in my show notes. But um, I really want to thank you uh, sincerely for taking the time to uh be on the podcast and uh i hope that uh administrators and educators listening to this um will begin to to look more at your work and and read your work and uh uh really embrace your message so margaret thanks for taking the time to be on my run your life podcast
1: well thank you and thanks for excellent questions
0: okay thanks margaret you have a great day
1: you too take care
0: bye-bye bye-bye Thanks for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Vassamy. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com.